Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's edition, we've got the results of special town meetings in Wellfleet and Chatham, as well as an update on potential development at the Walsh property in Truro. Will David is here, and he has our exclusive WOMR Weekend Weather Outlook. And Ira Wood has a matter of opinion about the High Holidays 101. In Wellfleet, two big-ticket spending articles passed relatively easily at Monday night's special town meeting. Voters also approved 10 bylaw amendments and an inclusionary zoning bylaw that passed after extensive debate. The only proposal that was defeated was a proposed ban on small bottles of alcoholic beverages, known as NIPs. The three-hour meeting saw the near-unanimous approval of adding a town planner position and funding for a wastewater treatment facility at Lawrence Hill. Those authorizations will appear on the September 27th special town election ballot, along with a select board race to fill the remaining eight months of Kathleen Bacon's term. Timothy Sayer is the only candidate to have submitted nomination papers, Kurt Felix is running a write-in campaign for the seat. Proponents of the borrowing authorization articles urged voters to support them as important steps for the town in addressing its wastewater and housing problems. The wastewater treatment facility is part of the town's plan to cut nitrogen loading in the harbor. The treatment facility will hook up the Lawrence Hill housing development, the elementary school, the police and fire stations, and some surrounding homes. Town meeting voters also supported the new town planner position. Because it will require a Proposition 2.5 override, it is also contingent on a majority vote at the special town election. Town manager Rich Waldo said that the town lacks the staff to proceed with many projects that have been endorsed by voters. He added that Wellfleet is the only town on Cape Cod without a town planner. Proponents of an inclusionary zoning bylaw managed to persuade voters to support it, despite vocal opposition. The bylaw will require developers of multi-unit housing to reserve a fraction of the units to be rented affordably. The two ballot questions and one race for a select board seat will appear on the ballot for the special town election on September 27th. Polls will be open from noon to 7 p.m. at the Wellfleet Adult Community Center on Old Kings Highway. You can see that ballot on the Wellfleet Town website. Chatham also had a special town meeting Monday night, where voters, for the third time, turned down a proposal for a new Center for Active Living. More than 1,000 people packed the Monomoy Regional Middle School Gym for the occasion, and while a majority supported the $11 million plan for a new senior center in West Chatham, the article did not get the required two-thirds of the vote to pass. 
While expressing disappointment at the outcome of Monday's vote, select board members Tuesday expressed a willingness to explore future options for the facility. Jeffrey Dykins lauded the incredible turnout, but said that doesn't fix the problems with the current Center for Active Living building on Stony Hill Road. He said the town could pump millions of dollars into the existing facility without addressing all of its defects. Select board member Dean Nicastro said the town has an obligation to provide for the needs of seniors and that it makes sense to engage an engineer to develop a plan to refurbish the current building. Nicastro said officials shouldn't bother with looking for a site for a new Council on Aging building after having been through every conceivable place to put one. In Truro, the 70-acre Walsh property saw the proposed number of units at the site drop from 252 to 160 after a 9-2 vote of the Walsh Property Community Planning Committee on September 13th. The select board then approved an article for the October town meeting warrant that reflects that vote. The Walsh committee vote came after it reviewed the results of a community survey in which 64% of respondents were opposed to the group's previous housing plan. While the majority of the committee voted for reducing the number of units, given the survey responses, Eileen Breslin and Steve Wynn voted against the change because they wanted even less housing to be built on the property. The committee members who voted for the reduction were not all pleased to be doing so, but were faced with making concessions in light of the political reality expressed in responses to the community survey. Breslin and Wynn, the two no votes on September 13th, had also voted against the 252-unit proposal in January. Both are also listed as directors of the Truro Part-Time Residence Taxpayers Association, whose stated priorities are preserving Truro's rural character, water quality, and environmental issues. The Walsh Committee developed the 252-unit proposal from numbers in the Truro Housing Production Plan. That proposal included 152 income-restricted units, representing 60% of the need documented in the Housing Production Plan. The new downsized proposal did not specify how many of the 160 units should be affordable or income-restricted. Select Board Chair Kristen Reed said that town meeting would be the ultimate arbiter of the plan for housing on the property. The Harwich Planning Board has followed the Board of Appeals in granting a special permit that will allow an expansion of the Waquasset Resort and Golf Club. It took more than seven months to obtain the permits over the objections of an abutter regarding increased noise and light disturbance that could be generated by the expansion. The project calls for the demolition and reconstruction of three cottages alongside Round Cove, moving the structures back from the bank and adding second floor units to each of the buildings. Throughout the permitting process, the attorneys for the abutters questioned the town's zoning regulations and requested additional review by town council on whether the planned merger of two lots was in conflict with the bylaw. But the appeals board approved a special permit for the project, saying that the structures on the site are lawful, pre-existing, non-conforming uses, and the proposed changes will not be detrimental to the neighborhood. 
The attorney for the Waquasset showed the planning board details about landscaping being put in place to protect the neighbor's property from lighting from the expanded resort buildings, and she urged the board to follow the findings of the appeals board. The planning board did just that, as they voted to approve the special permit with a landscape plan that requires screening the adjacent dwelling. Provincetown's Wash Ashore Festival returns this year with Jake Wesley Rogers as the festival headliner and Tony Award winner John Cameron Mitchell as MC for the weekend. Produced by the Provincetown Brewing Company, the Crown and Anchor, and Tangle Made Productions, this year's Wash Ashore Festival takes place on October 7th and 8th. Provincetown Brewing co-owner Eric Borg said organizers want to develop a South by Southwest style event for Provincetown with an immersive, multi-venue queer music festival that showcases rising talent. With a Tony Award winner as MC and a headliner that Elton John described as a resemblance of his younger self, the festival says it's going big. MC John Cameron Mitchell, known to fans as the star of Hedwig and the Angry Inch, will host a party at the Crown and Anchor on Saturday, while Jake Wesley Rogers will be the headliner of Sunday night's show at Provincetown Town Hall. Babes and Boys will close the festival on Sunday with their Clam Jam after party at the Crown and Anchor. Tickets and more information can be found online at washashorefestival.com. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. The site off of Route 6A in Orleans that formerly housed the underground mall continues to be vacant, but the project could soon regain traction. Chris DeSisto of Maplehurst Builders said last week that plans to redevelop the three-and-a-half-acre property into housing are still in the works, and that plans could be filed at Town Hall to begin local review this fall. DeSisto plans to develop 42 one- and two-bedroom rental units across six buildings that include three two-and-a-half-story buildings fronting Route 6A and three three-story buildings set back further on the property. The development will also provide 90 parking spots on site, including some inside the existing mall structure. The project was approved last fall by the Old Kings Highway Historic District Committee and is also due review by the Cape Cod Commission as a development of regional impact. DeSisto bought the property in July of 2021 for $2.1 million. The property's previous owner proposed building an FW Web store on the site, but that plan was denied by the Old Kings Highway Committee in August of 2020, prompting the owner to sell. DeSisto said last fall that he had hoped to break ground on his project this spring, but he recently told the Cape Cod Chronicle that engineering work has been moving slowly and his company still has plans to move forward. 
The project, which is being financed without state or federal funds, is one of several in the works in Orleans geared toward providing affordable and workforce housing. Housing Assistance Corporation is expected to break ground on a 12-unit affordable project at the site of the former Masonic Lodge on Main Street. On West Road, a 62-unit housing development at the site of the former Cape Cod 5 headquarters is also nearing the start of construction. And most recently, a request for proposals went out to developers for a planned housing project at the site of the Governor Prince Inn on Route 6A. In a recent letter to Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas, Massachusetts Governor Maura Healey is asking for federal help with streamlining work authorizations for migrants and refugees filling emergency shelters in Massachusetts, including on Cape Cod. The September 7th letter spells out several requests, but a big one is speeding up the process whereby migrants who are in Massachusetts legally get work authorizations. As it stands now, the process can take many months. Healy is asking that migrants who are legally here and who are eligible to apply right away for work authorizations should be granted those authorizations on the day they apply. This is how it works for most of the Haitian families that come to the U.S. with an appointment through an app from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Susan Church, Chief Operating Officer with the state's Office for Refugees and Immigrants, said that the individuals in shelters are not illegal or undocumented. Church said people are not eligible for shelter if they're undocumented. In order to be eligible for shelter in Massachusetts, a person must be known to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement officials and be pursuing his or her status in the legal system. Healy declared a state of emergency in August because of an influx of migrants, particularly families from Haiti. Since 1983, state officials have been required by law to offer housing to any homeless family seeking shelter. The law covers migrant families who are in the U.S. legally. Families who are wholly undocumented and whose presence is not acknowledged by federal immigration authorities are not eligible for emergency shelter assistance. Putting migrants to work is a high priority of the Healy administration. The state is working with Mass Hire, a statewide network of businesses and job seekers, to coordinate work authorizations and job openings so people can get to work as quickly as possible. The need for workers on Cape Cod is particularly acute. Prior to the pandemic, as many as 8,000 foreign workers with J-1 or H-2B visas had been a part of the seasonal workforce on Cape Cod. After the pandemic, that number dropped precipitously. Travel restrictions, visa processing issues at embassies, and lack of housing on the Cape have all been factors. Only 40% of those workers returned in 2022, according to Cape Cod Chamber of Commerce CEO Paul Nidzwicki. Earlier, on August 1st, a request to expedite work authorizations was sent to Mayorkas by U.S. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Edward Markey and U.S. Representative William Keating. 
Governor Healy has also proposed using nearly $300 million in one-time funds to support the state's strained emergency assistance shelter system and close a tax revenue shortfall. Healy filed a budget on Wednesday that would close the books on fiscal 23 and direct new spending into the shelter state of emergency. Healy said that money would allow the state to continue to provide services to families during fiscal 24 while working toward longer-term solutions. The money would also provide communities and school districts with needed support to enroll new arrivals. The state is currently housing 60% more families in shelters, hotels, motels, and other sites than when Healy took office in January. In news from our local school district, Brewster's Select Board has requested the Nauset Regional School Committee reopen the regional school agreement between the four member towns. Eastham, Orleans, Brewster, and Wellfleet have been together in the district since 1966, and the agreement between the towns hasn't been altered in 21 years. The latest concerns center on the formula for assessment of costs between the towns, and a desire to add Provincetown and Truro to the district. The two Cape Tip towns have been sending students to Nauset High on a tuition basis since Provincetown High School closed in 2013. Assistant Town Manager Donna Kalanick told the Brewster Select Board that the assessment is currently based on a single year's enrollment, but the town is requesting the school committee look at a three-year rolling average. Kalanick said that Orleans, Eastham, and Wellfleet are also supportive of the move that would simplify the budgeting process. With annual shifts in enrollment, the town's regional school budgets can fluctuate. Brewster would also like to look at the schedule for reopening the agreement every five to ten years and asked the regional school committee to look into adding Provincetown and Truro as official members by 2025. The topic of adding Provincetown and Truro to the district arose during debates over the renovation of the high school. While those towns pay tuition based on the average cost to educate a student, they were not obligated to contribute to the $170 million renovation of the high school now underway. School Committee Chair Chris Easley told the Brewster Board that the committee received the request and the plans to update the regional agreement, although a schedule for doing so has not been determined. Provincetown and Truro would have to decide if they want to formally join the district. The tuition agreement with the two towns expires in 24, and school committee member Tom Fitzgibbons noted that renegotiations start this fall. He said transportation issues are difficult, and the central office would also need the capacity to take on the bookkeeping for the Provincetown and Truro elementary schools. Easily recalled that the last time Truro and Provincetown were asked to join the district, they flatly rejected the idea. All four towns would need to approve any changes at town meeting, six towns if Provincetown and Truro were to become members. The state will also need to approve the changes. 
Love Live Local Fest is back this weekend at Azelton Park in Hyannis. The Locals Fest will take place from 11 to 5 on Sunday, September 24th, showcasing some of the Cape's local artists and businesses. More than 70 vendors will have tables and booths showing off locally made baked goods, clothing and jewelry, home goods, and bath and beauty products. The Katie Flynn Band will take the stage at 11.30, followed by Functopus at 2.30. Admission is free, and organizers advise festival goers to bring something to sit on if they plan to stick around for a while. Parking is not available at Azelton Park, but there is a large local public lot nearby on North Street. And following the departure of Jung Ho Pak, the Cape Symphony is back for its first performance of the 23-24 season. The show, Fanfare, a Celebration of Unity, will be conducted by Farhad Kudiev on September 23rd and 24th, that's Saturday and Sunday, featuring the works of Beethoven, Aaron Copeland, and Sibelius. Performances will be at 7.30 on Saturday the 23rd and at 3 o'clock on Sunday the 24th at Barnstable Performing Arts Center on West Main Street in Hyannis. Tickets can be purchased online at capesymphony.org or by calling the box office at 508-362-1111. Students ages 6 to 22 can buy tickets for half off the box office price. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. This is meteorologist Will David with your weekly weather watch and temperature trend for the Outer Cape. Our last full day of summer is ending on a fair and pleasant note, but that's about to end. High pressure currently over the Northeast that has brought us several days of beautiful weather will slowly weaken and that will allow a developing tropical system off the Southeast coast to move northward. The potential impact of this storm on the Outer Cape will be totally dependent on the strength and the movement of this large and sprawling high. As the low develops, it will likely move into Eastern North Carolina, then into Virginia toward the tidal Potomac and Chesapeake Bay before eventually dissipating. The system will likely become Ophelia and bring storm surge flooding, freshwater flooding, beach erosion, and high surf to much of the mid-Atlantic. As it continues to try to move northward, that high pressure will block it and will force it eastward and south of the Outer Cape as it dissipates. But the pressure gradient between the high and the tropical low will bring a persistent onshore flow along with periods of rain. In addition, gusty east winds may result in rip currents, minor beach erosion, and coastal flooding, especially at times of high tide. In the longer term, beautiful autumn weather should return by the middle and latter part of the week, but some of our computer models are already again hinting at developing low pressure off the mid-Atlantic or southeast coast in the next five to seven days, so stay tuned. Elsewhere across the nation, two storm systems are grabbing the headlines. One of those is centered over the western high plains, and it will bring a swath of severe weather from the northern plains to Texas, along with heavy rain and flash flooding. The other, of course, is what will become Ophelia. 
It will interact with strong high pressure, bringing gusty winds, beach erosion, storm surge, and heavy rain from the Carolinas to the Chesapeake Bay to the Delmarva. Storm surge flooding of up to five feet above normally dry ground is possible, along with over a half foot of rain. And finally, it's been more than 50 years since the passage of the Clean Air Act that brought dramatic improvements in air quality. But a big chunk of this progress has been rolled back for one reason, wildfire smoke. About seven years ago, that trend began to reverse and now wildfire smoke is responsible for less healthy air in 35 states. The smoke is not directly regulated by the Clean Air Act, so it's harder to manage than other types of air pollution. The smoke can travel huge distances and this year has been especially bad. Hundreds of wildfires burning across Canada are still affecting the U.S. with orange skies and spectacular sunrises and sunsets, but choking air. There were days this summer when New York and Chicago had some of the worst air quality of any major city in the world. The consequences of poor air quality could greatly impact our health, and researchers are now trying to determine what those effects may be. Now my exclusive WOMR weekend weather forecast for the Outer Cape. This afternoon, mostly sunny, highs around 68. Tonight, becoming mostly cloudy, lows around 58. Saturday, breezy with periods of rain, highs around 65. Sunday, breezy with scattered showers and patchy drizzle. Highs again around 65. As always, stay safe and informed by keeping an eye to the sky and an ear to the radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'm Weather Will. If you are not Jewish, and yet you happen to grow up around a large American city, then chances are you're aware of the Jewish high holidays. And you may not have known a thing about them, but you looked forward to them because your school, if not officially closed, was running on a skeleton crew. That is, few students, languid teachers, no schoolwork. Some school systems simply closed their doors altogether, the way Wisconsin schools do on the first day of deer hunting season. Right now, we're celebrating the Jewish New Year, the Ten Days of Awe, beginning with Rosh Hashanah, a.k.a. the birthday of the world, the anniversary of the day it all started, the very moment the Old Testament announces, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whether you're a believer or not, you have to admit, that's a hell of an excuse for a day off. Like eggs at Easter and dates at Ramadan, traditional foods are the core of Rosh Hashanah. Apples dipped in honey represent the sweetness that we hope the new year will bring. Pomegranates are eaten to encourage us to perform as many good deeds as there are seeds. Gefilte fish, well, I have no idea why there's always gefilte fish, so I guess it represents the wondrous mysteries of religion. During the ten days that begin with Rosh Hashanah and end with the Day of Atonement, we are meant to ask forgiveness of anyone we may have hurt during the year, purposely or 
unintentionally. Much harder, though, we're asked to extend forgiveness to people who have hurt us, even if they're total a-holes. Resolving to lose weight and join a gym won't cut it for the Jewish New Year because if we're going to really start the year afresh, we're supposed to give up our grudges and guilt and resentments. And you thought dry January was tough. According to Jewish tradition, everything we do is recorded in the Book of Life. No deed, word, thought of good or evil goes unrecorded. Have you backed into somebody's car in the stop-and-shop parking lot and quietly driven away? Did you pretend you didn't see your dog pooping in the neighbor's driveway? Forget about it. You're busted. The record is kept in heaven by Elijah the prophet. I know what you're thinking. This is way worse than hidden traffic cameras. Now, the big day is Yom Kippur, which almost everyone has heard of, if for no other reason than it involves fasting, a pretty onerous detail in a country obsessed with eating. According to tradition, Three books are opened on Rosh Hashanah. One for the thoroughly wicked, whose names are inscribed in the Book of Death. One for the thoroughly righteous, who are inscribed in the Book of Life. And one for those somewhere in the middle, which I think includes most of our listeners. But who knows? If all of this is new to you, think of the Leonard Cohn song, Who by Fire. It asks... And who by fire, who by water, who in her lonely slip, who by barbiturate? It's based on the prayer Cohen heard in the synagogue as a child. But in the 21st century, dying by fire or flood or drugs is on the news every single night. But I'm glad to report there is a way out. No matter what someone has done, the penalty of death can be averted by doing three things during the ten days of awe. Praying, or performing works of charity, or repenting. I've always gone for door number three. So, in an attempt to save my butt for another year, if I've said something in these commentaries that has offended you, or insulted your politics, or made you feel inferior, I really am sorry. It's not an easy time to be a human right now, and I'm always trying to get better at it. I'm Ira Wood, and here's wishing you a good, sweet new year. And that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn, Will David, and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. 
Now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz. It's Stirred Not Shaken with Hank and Andy on listener-supported community radio, WOMR.